Are you in? Are you in? This is a question that is asked to determine your position on a certain situation. I might say to you, we are all going to get frozen yogurt tonight after the Bible study. Are you in? Some of you would not be in because you're not doing a carb thing right now. You're doing a low-carb thing. The question might be asked in sales. After the salesman, the salesperson presents the product and all of its benefits, they might look at you and ask, so are you in? Are you in? This is the question tonight. Are you in? In our text tonight, we're not necessarily talking about being in on a deal, although it is true we are in on an amazing deal. Paul tells us in our text tonight about the benefits and the characteristics of being in Christ, of being in Christ Jesus. So I ask the question of each of us tonight, are you in? Are you in? Are you in Christ? For some, it's an easy answer. For others, to answer that question, a little bit more difficult. But hopefully, as we learn about Christ and we learn about our Christian faith, that the answer becomes more readily easy and readily coming off of our tongue. Our text tonight points out the benefits and the characteristics of being in Christ. We're going to look at a couple of those tonight. The first one, here's the benefit of being in Christ, no condemnation. No condemnation. So let's look at chapter 8 of Romans, picking it up at verse 1. It says this, There is therefore now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirements, requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. No condemnation. This is a benefit of being in Christ. In our study last week, we talked about life on between our spirit and flesh. You remember that? Chapter 7 of Romans and it is one of those chapters, and we talked about it, and Paul said it this way. He said, you know, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, that's what I do. I don't know that there's anyone that could not identify with those, anybody who wants to live for Christ, and wants to walk in Jesus, but just having that same confession, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, that is what I do. And Paul identifying that struggle that struggle between the, the, the sinful nature, the, the flesh, if you will, and that's what he called it, and, and the new person that you are in Christ. And we learned last week that we're to 
to have an understanding in our Christian life of who we are in Christ Jesus and that we have been brought from the dead to life and that you are everything that he says that you are in, in the word, that you are that. And so when we're struggling against the flesh, when we're looking at those things that are sinful, we need to be reminded, we need to be thinking about who we are in Christ and being reminded of that not only in walking with Jesus and walking in the Spirit, but just the mindset of understanding what it means to be in Christ. And that's where he kind of comes to this conclusion here as, as, as we come into chapter 8. And of course, when Paul wrote the letter, there weren't, no, there weren't any chapters and verses. There weren't chapters and uh, verse delineations. He's just writing a letter. And so he comes to this this next paragraph, and he says, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. So if you're in Christ, you may, you may struggle in the flesh, you may struggle against the flesh, but if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. This is an acknowledgement of of what Jesus has done for us. This is an understanding that we are free from the guilt of sin. We're free from the guilt of sin. The Christian is free from the guilt of sin. Amen? And you need to know that. You need to put that on. You need to put that into your head. You need to put that into your spirit. We are free from the guilt of sin. Why? Because we've been set free. Because Christ has forgiven us. Because we're under the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been atoned for. We've been covered. Our, our, our shame and, 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 and the nakedness and all those things and all those analogies that you could use have been covered. We've been atoned for. The, the, the blood of Christ and, and the work of the cross has been appropriated to our lives. And so... There's no condemnation for you, Christian, if you're in Christ Jesus. And because of that, the Christian, you, Christian, you're free from the guilt of sin. If you're in Jesus, now, now that's wonderful news, amen? That is tremendous news. And that's a verse of Scripture that, hey, if you're a Christian, you've been walking with the Lord, this is one of your favorites. This is one of your go-to verses, amen? Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. While that's good news for the Christian and the person who's in Christ, the flip side, the flip side of that coin would also be true. If you're not in Jesus Christ, there is condemnation. If you're not in Jesus Christ, there is condemnation. And Paul would put it this way, you that, that, that everyone who's not in Christ is in darkness, dead in their sins, under uh, an object of the wrath of God. And that's why it's so important to accept the free gift of God and, and to come into Christ and, and, and to be in Christ Jesus and to be free from sin and to be free from the guilt of sin. But if you're not in Christ, there is condemnation. And one of the commentators put it this way. He says, it's no pleasant task to us to have to speak of this matter. 
But who are we that we should ask for pleasant tasks? What God has witnessed in Scripture is the sum and substance of what the Lord's servants are to testify to people. If you are not in Christ Jesus and are walking after the flesh, you have not escaped from condemnation. In fact, Jesus actually put it this way. I have not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. But why didn't he come in to condemn the world? Because the world is already condemned. The world is already standing under the judgment of God. Mankind is already condemned, already under the wrath of God. That's why Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn it, but he came in to redeem it and to save it. And so that's why it's so important to be in Christ. Paul goes on, he says, you're free from the law of sin and death. You're no longer subject to the condemnation that goes along with sin and death. How did this happen? When you received Christ, when you received Christ, you were set free from the law of sin and death. Sin has no power over you. Death has no power over you. Why? Because you're in Christ Jesus. And this is exactly what we just celebrated on Sunday. The victory that was won for us, that has been handed to us, is what we have. You've been handed a victory. Years ago, I did this thing on Easter Sunday at our church in Orlando, and I don't know, I probably did this because we were, I was, I don't know what happened to me, but I got into NASCAR for a little while. And, uh, <laughs> yep, we would go out to, you know, we, we went to a couple races up at Daytona and everything, and it's, it's, it's pretty cool if you go out there and everything. It's, it's pretty amazing to see 43 cars come to that, that start line and, uh, and, and just uh, hit it. And uh, it's, it's uh, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. But we did this uh, Easter Sunday around the whole theme of victory. We had little checkered flags uh, around in the cafe and everything, and it was, maybe we'll do that. Um, you know, well, maybe not. Uh, we'll put it in. But anyways, we have victory in Christ. Amen? We have victory in Christ. He won a victory for us over death and over sin, and that victory has been handed to you. And so we are all literally in, in like, what, what, what's it called? Victory Lane. Yeah, that's where we are. Thank you. Who said that? Victory Row, but I think it is Victory Lane. It is Victory Lane. Yeah, it's a lane. It's a lane, and it's a victory lane. And in Victory Lane, you get a, you get, you know, I don't know, they put a wreath on you or whatever. I don't know. Maybe at, at Indy they do this. I don't know why they do this at Indy. They put a wreath on you and you drink milk, you know. And uh, so that's what we're doing in the spirit. We got a, we got a wreath of victory. We're, we're uh, you know, we're, we have been given a mighty victory. The spirit of life has made you free. He set you free from sin and death, and he's also given you life. The spirit of life made you free. Look at that in verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ, Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And so not only have we been released from the power of sin and the power of death, but we've done that because we've come in, into victory, but we've come into life. We've come into life in Jesus and, you know, there's a parallel early on in the Bible when God 
created man, right? He, he created man from the dust and he, he, he made, he formed, he fashioned man, right? And there's a verse in Genesis 1 that says that he breathed the breath of life into man, right? And he became a living person, a living soul. And that's exactly what happened to you spiritually when you came into Christ. The Lord Jesus breathed into you the spirit of life and you became a living person in the spirit. And so you're no longer dead in your sins and you're no longer subject to, under the rule, under the dominion of sin and death. You've come into a different kingdom, the kingdom of life and the kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom of Christ. What Paul is saying here is that the Christian is free from the power of sin. Earlier he said we're free from the guilt of sin. But now in verse 2 he's saying we're free from the power of sin. Now, the law could not make us holy. It could not exonerate us. Look at verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So the law could not make us holy. It could not exonerate us. Why? For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, the law can do many things. The Bible tells us that God's word, that God's law can do many things. It can guide us. It teaches us. It tells us about God. It tells us about his character. It tells us about his compassion. It tells us about his love. It does a lot. But the law cannot give energy to our flesh to overcome sin. It cannot give us, it it can give us the standard of what right and wrong is, but it can't give us the power to please God. One of the commentators put this, and I want you to follow me on this. This is what he said. He said, Moses' law has right, but not might. Sin's law has might, but not right. And the law of the Spirit has both right and might. Amen? And so the law doesn't have might. It has right. It has right, but no might. And sin's law has a lot of might, might to make us walk according to that flesh, walk according to that sinful nature, but it doesn't have right. But the law, or the the spirit of life has both, right and might. I kind of liked that. (laughs) That was kind of a, a good way to put it. Because of our sinful nature, it was impossible. The law helps us to detect sin but we needed Jesus to defeat sin. Amen? So we had the law. It just, and it it, it showed us. It it, it guided us. It was, Paul told the Galatians, it was our pedagogue, it was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. It just couldn't do the job. There's kind of a picture of that in the Old Testament uh, because Moses was the, the one that uh, was the, the, the leader that led the, the people of Israel, right, for 40 years in the desert. 
But then you remember he did that thing where he, that second time where God told him, well, the first time he said, hit the rock, and he hit the rock, and the water came forward. The second time he said, speak to the rock. And in his anger, he hit the rock and disobeyed God. And for that, because of that, God said, you will not, you will not enter the, the promised land. You're not going to be the one that takes the people over into the promised land. And so who was it? It was his successor, Joshua, which is really the Old Testament, which is, which, which is Jesus. Okay, so the name Joshua in the Old Testament, the Hebrew, is Yeshua, okay? And and so it's Jesus who took the people across the the Jordan River into the promised land. And so the law can take you right up to the edge, right up to the river, and you can look in. Remember Moses looked in, said, oh, it looks good over there. But he couldn't take the people in. It was Joshua who took, took them across the river. And it's Jesus who takes us across the river. Amen? God makes us holy through Christ, through what Jesus did. God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh for a sin offering, for a substitute, a substitutionary offering for sin, on account of sin. And really, all of the Old Testament sacrifices really point, pointed forward to Christ. And we're going to get into this eventually in our Who is Jesus series on Saturday night, uh, that all, all the sacrifices pointed forward to the, sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice of Christ. The writer of Hebrews actually makes the argument, if you read the book of Hebrews, the letter, he makes the argument and he says it this way in Hebrews 10.4. He says, For uh, it is not possible that the, bu- the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. All those sacrifices were literally done in faith according to the law, pointing forward to the one who would come and make the perfect sacrifice once and for all. So every person that ever will be saved, ever has been saved, ever will be saved now and ever will be saved in the future is saved the exact same way by believing upon the perfect sacrifice of Christ because it is his blood that can atone. And so... We, we can't trust the law. We don't, we don't trust the law for salvation. The law brings us so far. It is Christ who has done it. And he condemned, God condemned sin in the flesh, in the flesh of Christ. Amen? For us. So this fulfills the righteous requirement of the law. Let's go back to the text, verse 4. So this, Paul says, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So Jesus, so God did all this so that the requirement of the law would be fulfilled. But it's Jesus who had to do it. Amen? So we have no condemnation. Amen? If you're in Christ Jesus, you have no condemnation. Now that doesn't mean that if you go out here and and, you know, just sin it up for no reason whatsoever, that you're not going to feel the, taint, the, 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 the guilt of that particular sin, but that's the, the Holy Spirit bringing that, that conviction to you uh, to, to, to get that, uh, that sin confessed, but you're under the covering of the blood of Christ. Amen? So there's no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. You also... 
have a different mindset. It's a spiritual mindset. Let's pick it up, verse 5. Paul says this, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. I'll stop there. So, if you're in Christ, you have no condemnation. You've been set free from the guilt of sin. You've been set free from the power of sin. But you also have this. You're walking in the Spirit, so you need to, be, you need to have a mindset that is set on the things of the Spirit. The problem, really, and I think this is a commentary and kind of a little bit of an insight into what Paul is saying earlier in Romans 7. I've got this struggle going on. i got this struggle. Yeah, because you got this struggle about which, which thing you're going to walk in. Are you going to walk according to a, a carnal mind? A mind of the flesh? Or are you going to walk according to the mind of the Spirit? So we need to have the mind of the Spirit. We need to live life according to not the flesh, but the, the Spirit. If you live according to the flesh, you have set your mind on the things of the flesh. To live according to the Spirit, Paul says, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. So if you, it's, it's, I guess if you look at it from this standpoint, you can say, well, we understand the struggle, but, but it's not hard to figure out why. Paul's saying, because it's a mindset. If you're, if, you're, if you're struggling with the flesh, yes, you do have the flesh and, and, and you're battling against that, but you need to work on changing your mindset. You, the, 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 the more you're struggling, I bet you there's, there's probably an equation or a corollary that would make sense that to the degree that you're struggling is the degree that you're setting your mind on the things of the flesh. Paul says, hey, if you're going to walk in the Spirit, you need to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. What kind of mindset? A spiritual mindset. A spiritual mindset. After Hurricane Katrina, our church in Orlando took a small team of people up to the area affected there on the Gulf Coast. And we en ended up in Mississippi in actually Gulfport, Mississippi. And we were working with a friend of mine, his ministry. It's a large ministry that it's a it's a it's an evangelistic ministry, but it's also a disaster relief ministry. And it, uh, he this guy has been he was immediately on the grounds at the Pentagon after the Pentagon uh, after 9-11, uh, serving thousands of meals a day. He he literally can be on the ground anywhere that a disaster strikes, he can, he literally, with hurricanes, you kind of know what's going to happen. So he'll like actually drive into a safe area kind of beside it. And then when the thing passes, he can literally be on the ground, usually within hours, uh, assisting, serving meals. They have mobile kitchens, everything. We actually just missed President George W. Bush by one day. We got there one day late and he was, he was there at the, uh, at, at, at the place where they were ministering. But we came in and we 
we did some work there that week helping out. And one of the things that me and one of the pa- pastors from our church did um, that week is we led worship every night. We had a worship and prayer time in the, sp- in the big tent where they would serve the meals and everything. And all the people that had come in from churches all over the country uh, would come in for a time of prayer and a time of worship. And so uh, me and one of the pastors from our church ha- had, had the opportunity to lead worship every night for the week we were there. And after one night we were there praying, after the worship time, we were praying with a, a group of uh, Christian folk from a church in Chicago. And uh, the inner city church, and, and uh, they, they, were, they were there praying with us. And, and um, I was immediately struck by the things that they were saying while we were praying. And, and, and we were praying about, Lord, help us to, you know, uh, help these people that are affected with this, 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 this terrible situation and all this. And these people from this other church, they kept on saying, heavenly mindset. We, we, Lord, we need a heavenly mindset, heavenly mindset, heavenly mindset. And they were repeating that over and over and over again. And I was like, yeah, we need a heavenly mindset. Amen. <laughs> we need a heavenly mindset. And it's exactly what we need in our Christian life. We need a heavenly mindset. We need a spiritual mindset. The problem is we battle in the flesh and the, the flesh battles for our attention and our mindset. And we need to, to, Paul says here, look at the way he says it, verse five. He says, but those, uh, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. And, and so there's this idea of setting our mind on the things of the Spirit, on having a spiritual mindset. So the question really is, where is our mindset? Look at your life. Look at the struggles. Where is your mindset on a day-to-day basis? Paul goes on here. He begins to describe the, the, the results of the type of mindset that you have. He talks about the carnal mindset. The carnal, he says the carnal mindset is death. Look at it. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. And it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. So the carnal mindset is death. Wow, that's something to think about. That's something to think about, Christian. When we've got our mind set on the flesh, that's a mindset of death. We, we've, been, we've been brought over here into life, and so we need a, we need a mindset that goes along with what Christ Jesus has done in our lives. Amen? That's the mindset we need. A carnal mindset is death. A spiritual mindset is life and peace. Which one do you want? You want death or you want life and peace? Life and peace, death, death, life and peace. Which one, which one do you want? Oh, life and peace. You want life and peace? Great. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Set your mind on the good things of God. Set your mind on his character. Set your mind on all those things. Set your mind on the word. Set your mind on Jesus. 
Paul goes on. He says, the carnal mind is hostile to God. He, he says it this way. Let me find it. Verse 6. I'm sorry, uh, verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind is hostile to God. You, you cannot please God in the flesh with the carnal mind. Paul didn't say that the carnal mind was at enmity with God. It didn't say it was like kind of kind of in the direction of kind of... Be, no, it was, the, it was the definition. The carnal mind is the definition of being against God. Okay? It's not like kind of towards that. It's kind of like that, right? One of the commentators put it this way. He says, um, Paul puts it even stronger than that. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not black, but blackness. It's not at enmity, but enmity itself. It's not corrupt, but corruption. It's not, rebel it's not rebellious, it's rebellion. It's not wicked, it's wickedness itself. And, and this is what Paul's saying. The carnal mind is enmity. The carnal mind is against God. But if you're in Christ, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if Jesus, if the spirit dwells in you. So while the carnal mind is enmity against God, we have, verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So he says, look, but you have the Spirit of life. You don't have this, but you, this, is, this is what you need, Christian, but you have it. But you have it, and you need to set your mind on it. And, and, and that's what it is. I mean, so much of life is thinking about, is, is, is making decisions, right? And I think the fundamental decision that we can make with Christ is to set our minds on the things that Christ has, has done and the position that he's placed us in. I think the problem for Christians generally is not realizing who they are in him and not realizing the position and the place that they have been given. And so while they are all these things and they do have this position in Christ, they're living over here. They're living, they're continuing to live over here. But Paul says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have Christ, the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So the question really then becomes is the Spirit of Christ in you, <laughs> right? That really becomes the question. Well, wow, let, let me see. Let, let me check. Um, now, if, if I ask that question, there are some people, depending upon how long you've been walking with Christ, that that might, that might cause some concern. Like, oh, well, wait, let me check. <laughs> let me check to see if I have, if, is, the, is the Spirit... In me, but I believe it should be a source of encouragement. If you've given your life to Christ, you have the Spirit. Just because you have the struggle with the flesh, just because you have some other struggle, it might be something out there. It's not even your flesh. It's something out there in the world. It's the flesh and the world. Just because you have those struggles isn't necessarily an evidence 
that you're not his. You're still going to have, you're still, you're, this, the world's still going to be the world. The flesh, Paul said it in, ver, in chapter 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to Christ, right? So be encouraged, Christian. If you're his, if you've, if you've accepted him, you have the spirit of life in you, and you're in Christ. He is in you when you are in him. Amen? And so that's where Paul wraps it up. He says, I have a life. Let's pick it up, verse 10, and wrap this up. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So you have life. You have life. Being in, being in Christ, we have life. We have life. You might say, well, we have a life. You know, there's, a, there's an old saying of like, you know, go you know, like get a life. You see people standing around not doing good. Get a life, right? <laughs> right? Get a life. We didn't get a life. We didn't like find a life. We were given life. We have life. We were dead. It wasn't like, you know, we're dead, go get a life. No, we were dead. We have life now. And so, Christian, you have life. If, if, if you're not in Christ, you know, if you really look at what Paul says in Ephesians 2, I mean, we're already living in the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> right? No, read Ephesians 2. Before Christ, you were dead in your sins, in your trespasses. So basically, the world is filled with people that are dead, walking around. It's a zombie apocalypse out there. Right? You, Christian, are not a, you're not a zombie. <laughs> You've been brought to life. You've been given a life. You have a life. And zombies out there they're just going from one thing to the next carnal mindset going from one thing to the next one more week one more monday oh god forbid monday you know we talked about you know i don't do mornings on that oh morning one more morning one more Monday, one more Tuesday, one more Wednesday, one more March, one more April, one, one more summer, one more fall, one more zombies. Zombies. Cue the cranberries. But if you're in Christ, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because you have his righteousness, because you have been given life in Christ. Amen? And he, and he closes that verse off by talking about, it's, it's very similar to the, the, the discourse that he has in 1 Corinthians 15 where he's talking about the resurrection. So he's talking about that verse 11, but if, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So this is like, 
chapter 15 of, of 1 Corinthians in like two verses, okay? <laughs> you want to read the in-depth commentary on what Paul's saying here, read that chapter because basically Paul is making the argument about our bodies being a seed and him basically giving life that we're going to, that this is, the, this is this, the, the seed that is going to be that which God brings to life in, in, in that heavenly body that we have. And so in the meantime, we have this flesh and we have this spirit life and then there's going to be that time that the power of Christ just becomes fully realized in our lives when death is given to these mortal bodies. And, and here's how he puts it. That the, that the mortal puts on immortality, right? That we put on, that we put on, we have this mortal body, but we put on immortality. Amen? And we're getting, a, we're getting a glorified body. We're getting a heavenly body. Amen? We're getting a spiritual body. It's going to be a body. We're not going to be like just ghosts and floating around. You know, we're not going to be in clouds with harps and, you know, little tiny wings, okay? That's not, that's not what it is, okay, folks? We're getting a spiritual body, amen? It's going to be incredible. Because I look at Jesus after the resurrection, he was doing some wild stuff, walking through walls and all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah, read about it in the Gospels. Incredible, incredible stuff. Christian, We've got what life that Jesus has given us here and now to walk in the Spirit, victory over sin, no condemnation, power over sin, walk in the Spirit, set our minds on the things of the Spirit, which is life and peace. And we've got a life. And when it's all said and done and Jesus returns, the Apostle John, in his letter, put it this way. When we see him, we will be like him. Amen? We'll be like him. We'll be changed. We'll be changed in a twinkling of an eye. In a twinkling of an eye. How fast is that? There's a thing called a plank second. It's the smallest measurement of time. I think it's 10 to the minus 43 seconds. Okay? Max Planck. I think that's it. A twinkling of an eye. We're going to be changed into his likeness. Amen? Our mortality, we're going to, we're going to shed that and we're going to put on immortality and forever be with him.